Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Angry Environmentalist. In today's episode, we have someone from Farm Sanctuary here to talk to us about the sanctuary's missions, their advocacy work, and how they're helping to educate the youth and broader audiences about treatment of animals and issues of our food systems. Farm Sanctuary was founded in 1986 and has helped to combat the abuse animals face due to our current factory farming systems in a number of ways that includes advocacy, education, and rescue. You'll also be discussing how our food, current food systems are not just cruel to animals, but how these food systems are extremely detrimental to the environment as well. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome our guest speaker, Maddie Krasnos, the Manager of Humane Education Programs at Farm Sanctuary. Thank you. I am happy to be here. Awesome. So happy to have you here and to be able to talk about these super important topics that our world is facing. Let's get into the first question. So what is your role at Farm Sanctuary? Yeah, so I'm Farm Sanctuary's Humane Education Programs Manager. So my job is primarily overseeing the organization's youth programming, which includes classroom presentations, curriculum resources for teachers, and our team of humane educators. Prior to overseeing the organization's education programming though, I did, um, I was a humane educator myself, teaching thousands of students in kindergarten through 12th grade, even some in college about the lives of farm animals and issues of our food system. Wow, that's super awesome. And that's super important. I think like starting young and starting teaching from young is where you grow this compassion for animals and knowledge of the food systems and how they're working, not working. Like. Absolutely. Yeah, we actually, um, when the program began, we, we were focusing on grades five through 12, but we've since, uh, since the pandemic, we started creating uh, educational programming and materials for kindergarten through fourth grade. And we've actually found that there is a huge demand from teachers for information and just activities that have to do with farm animals. And we're really excited to kind of bring that into the classroom, especially because education these days about farm animals, especially for young children, is really focused on how we use them and where, you know, farm animals being on a farm. And so we get to bring in a different point of view about what it is to run a farm animal sanctuary and what sanctuary means to farm animals. Oh, I love that. I wish I had that when I was young. <laughs> so our next question is, could you speak about the overall mission of Farm Sanctuary? Yeah, absolutely. Our mission is to pursue bold solutions to end animal agriculture and foster just and compassionate vegan living. So to achieve our mission, Farm Sanctuary fights the disastrous effects of animal agriculture on animals, the environment, social justice, and public health through rescue, education, and advocacy. So a lot happening in one organization, um, but it all kind of, it's like all of these working parts coming together to achieve this mission of ultimately making our food system more just, compassionate, and sustainable. Yeah, I think that's awesome to have like multiple layers to something because it's also like you're getting a little bit of everything and you're actually going out there and doing not only the work with the animals, but you're doing the advocacy as well. Absolutely. So next question is before we dive into your work in the education department, can you tell us about one or two of the Farm Sanctuary residents and how they came to end up living at Farm Sanctuary? Because I always see on your Instagram like all these <laughs> amazing stories and they're so cute and I love it. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so, and and just so it's clear, we are a farm animal sanctuary, um, as well as just a farm animal organization, like advocacy organization. So we have two sanctuary locations where about 1,000 animals live. Uh, one is outside of Los Angeles in Acton, California, and one is in upstate New York, uh, Watkins Glen, New York. Um, both these sanctuaries you can visit, take tours. So anyone ends up being interested in that, that's a good thing to keep in mind. But I will tell you about uh, two of the animals whose stories have stuck with me since, I mean, forever, basically. I mean, they're just kind of two of those stories that are, have, have stayed in my mind. And I think are pretty kind of representative of how, how these animals are treated and viewed in our food system. So most of the animals at Farm Sanctuary have been rescued from our food system. There's a chicken named Aria who uh, is no longer with us, but she was an egg-laying hen. For the listeners who may or may not know, laying hens are considered spent by these um, kind of factory farms between the ages of 18 months and two years. So even though their natural lifespans are between five and eight years, their egg production slows down earlier. So they become, they're, they're considered to have no economic value to the egg industry. So that's when they, they give them this term spent. And when they're spent, they'll be sent to slaughter. So more often, however, there isn't really a market for spent hens, these egg-laying hens. And so producers will elect to kill them by gassing them with these high co concentrations of carbon dioxide. In the case of Aria, what happened was is that there was a supervisor at a re rendering plant, so at a slaughterhouse or kind of one of these places where they would gas the birds, who heard noises coming from a pile of dead laying hens he had already gassed, or who had, who had already been gassed. And so when he went over to, to the pile to see what was going on, he found, he found a chicken, Aria, alive and clucking for help. In more than 20 years of working at that plant, he had never seen or heard of another survivor. So he was pretty, you know, kind of shocked by, by Aria's ability to survive this. So he ended up saving her and brought her home. And he could have sent her to be gassed again, but he really, you know, he wanted, he wanted her to have, have a life, have a, have a life outside of this. So that's an, that ends up being how she came to Farm Sanctuary. They, um, his wife had contacted us and we took her in. And like many hens who spend their lives crammed into these tiny battery cages, which is very common for egg-laying hens, she arrived with a lot of health concerns. She had been de-beaked, which is really common in this industry. They'll actually cut off parts of chickens and turkeys beaks. She had overgrown nails, was underweight, just in really, really poor condition. But with time of and you know receiving nutritious food, having space to run around at the sanctuary, receiving individualized care, which you know just doesn't happen in the food system, and being able to live with other chickens, her life quickly turned around and she began thriving. So that's that's Aria's story, and it's one that you know I <laughs> it it still makes me emotional to think about because I just I can't. I can't imagine what it was like for her or for this worker who in all of that time working in one of these facilities to come across something like that 
And I just, I so appreciate that his decision was to take her and find her sanctuary. Yeah, that, that gave me chills. <laughs> actually gave me chills. That's, wow, really sad. But I'm happy that she got that life with you guys because yeah. a lot of them don't get that opportunity to live a happy life after yeah. a really bad one. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, I mean, and that's the thing. There are, we're nationwide. So here in the United States, we're raising about 10 billion land animals. So this does not include sea animals, but land animals every year for food. And worldwide, the number is more like 70 billion. So there's so many individuals out there who, who don't get this, this chance, um, which is where the education and advocacy comes in because we can't rescue our way out of this out of this problem. And yeah, we unfortunately can't have those happy endings for everyone. That's so sad, but I'm glad you guys are there to do that work and to do, like yeah. you said, not only the rescue, but the advocacy, because that's, that's where you create change in the actual system as a whole. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, there's one other story I want to share because I think it's one of those, I think the story is especially kind of compelling because, well, for me, I had actually met when I, when I was a tour guide years ago at Farm Sanctuary before kind of joining the education department. I had the, the chance to meet this, this enormous steer, so a male cow named Jay. And a lot of people don't realize how big male dairy cows, so these like Holstein breeds can get, because in the industry, they're killed before they're going to be full grown. They're not, they don't make milk, so they're considered useless by the industry. So they're going to be either killed for veal at a very young age, or um, killed for beef, uh, usually around one and a half years old, and it takes about three years for these these cows to get to be full grown. And so Jay <laughs> towered over you at like over six feet tall, thousands of pounds. And I remember at one point being in like a wooded area and he had, like, I, I remember just like he stepped on this like giant branch and it just broke so easily, like just, I mean, it was just so enormous. And like, I was just kind of like in awe of how gentle this giant was. But I was also in awe because when I learned of his story, it just brought me to tears what he has been through. So what happened with Jay is that his story kind of begins, or at least our knowledge of his story begins on an Indiana interstate when a transport truck holding 34 cows collided into another vehicle and burst into flames. So transport trucks, these are what these animals are put on to be transported from farm to farm and ultimately to slaughter. And so, you know, this truck burst into flames of the traumatized survivors. Several were found walking around the highway in a daze, still smoldering or on fire. Others with wounds so severe that their bones showed through their skin lay helplessly on the ground. They were dying from their injuries. 18 others didn't even make it out of the wreck at all. So this was like a really, really bad accident. Unfortunately, the horror for these animals did not stop there. As emergency responders came to the driver's aid and began clearing up the wreckage, the cows who survived this nightmare were rounded up and loaded on another truck bound for slaughter, all except one. So out of all of this chaos, confusion, and ashes rose Jay, who despite being covered in excruci excruciatingly painful burns was so determined to preserve his own life that he made a run for it. 
So he sent authorities on a 12-hour chase before finally being captured and taken to a local animal shelter. And what's really special about Jay is that's where kind of citizens started hearing his story and rallying behind him and advocating for him to be taken to sanctuary and not to slaughter. So that's how he ended up coming to Farm Sanctuary, where he received, you know, he needed a lot of medical care, antibiotics, IV fluids. He was in really, really bad shape. The extent of his injuries became more apparent as we could see like the damaged skin that began to like come off and reveal just the burns. Um, and when I met him, he actually like a lot of where he had been burnt, there's no hair there. It was just the skin and it, it never grew back. But ultimately his prognosis was really good. And he went on to live a very full life at Farm Sanctuary, despite going through all of this. And I love this story because I also, I love that it's, it's a tale of, of liberation, of the animal liberating themselves, of him fighting for, for his life. Because a lot of the general public, you don't see these animals and you don't realize that they are all fighting for their lives. It's just that they're up against a lot when it comes to how humans are treating them. And yeah, unfortunately, a lot of them are not as successful as as Jay was. And I oftentimes like that's horrible. And I, I heard from many people that there's like a saying, if slaughterhouses had glass doors, we wouldn't be eating meat. Or if you had to hunt yeah. food, so many people would be vegetarian and vegan. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's definitely an interesting kind of thing to think about and could take you on a whole nother tangent because I do think there are people who know what's going on but you know still aren't making different choices and it's complicated what is going on in our food system and there's a variety of reasons as to why people continue to do what we've been doing for a while now which is consuming animals at a rate that is really unsustainable and cruel not just to the animals but to to what is happening to our planet as a result of raising billions and billions of animals every year yeah, and pe people don't realize that part too. They just see, oh, like people are caring about the animals. Well, we do obviously should care about the animals. <laughs> Another part too, it's in the Amazon, they clear illegally all of this land for mm -hmm. cattle. And the cattle yeah. aren't being treated right and the earth isn't being treated right. <laughs> right. Yeah, absolutely. And I that's those are some of the connections that just completely shock students. In our environmental impacts presentation, or just kind of our environmental presentations, we talk to students about the environmental impacts that our food system is having, and in particular, animal agriculture is having. And one of them is talking about the Amazon rainforest. And they're so surprised to learn that 80% of the deforestation that happens there is to raise more animals for food. So we're destroying the habitats of wild animals. We're displacing indigenous communities. And for what reason? Well, <laughs> to raise more cows for beef. And another piece of it that is surprising to students as well is this, this whole thing about soy. A lot of people don't know that soy, corn and soy are typically what is being fed to all of these factory farmed animals. 
And most of the world's soy is actually grown to feed to these animals. So all that land that's being cleared is often used first to grow soy. And then, you know, these animals are brought in, raised for food. We're seeing that destruction right before our eyes, but not making the connection that what we are eating, who we are eating is contributing to it. Yeah, no, it's there's so many things that factory farming has wrong with it. It's the animals that are being treated horribly. It's clearing land. It's the water pollution. There's just mm -hmm. so much stuff that we could go into hours talking yeah. about. <laughs> Truly. <laughs> like, I, I did a presentation for my freshman year, which was like five years ago now of college, <laughs> and it was like, my professor was like, okay, you spoke for 20 minutes, like, enough. <laughs> I was like, I could keep going. Like, yeah, you're like, give me a second. I'm not done. <laughs> I could keep going. But yeah. yeah, crazy. Those two stories definitely brought chills, well, a lot of chills and a lot of emotions. And I hope yeah. that people hear those stories, people who are listening hear those and understand that mm -hmm. this is what's happening every day. Yeah, no, I mean, these are, these are individuals I can tell you about, but there are so many more that their stories just don't get told. They're, they, they don't get that freedom that they deserve. Yeah, 100%. Okay, so going on to the next question, we kind of talked about education a little bit, so let's get into this one, which is about the curr curriculum that is taught and how it works to empower the youth to create change regarding our current food systems. It's a big question. <laughs> so with our educational programming, I kind of mentioned a little bit in the beginning that we at Farm Sanctuary, we're giving classroom presentations about issues of our food system. We're doing this for kindergarten through 12th grade, as well as college and university. And with these presentations, initially, when this whole program started, we were actually in the classroom in specific regions. We're now virtual. We've been virtual since 2020, which one of the, I guess, upsides to that is all of a sudden we've presented in, instead of, I don't know, maybe a total of five states like California, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, I don't know, maybe not even five states. We've now, we've now presented in 44 states. So that's pretty amazing. It's allowed us to reach so many more students. And it also inspired us to create some programming for kindergarten through fourth grade. So that's kind of like the background of the presentations that we do in a little bit. I'll just mention that we have um, also created curriculums that teachers themselves can teach. And these are downloadable for free on our website. So there's like an environmental curriculum and an art curriculum. And then this enormous curriculum for um, kindergarten through third grade teachers on all of these like activities and lessons about farm animals. So lots of good stuff there. But in terms of the presentations themselves, as I mentioned, we're covering a lot of different topics from the social and emotional lives of farm animals to the power of sanctuary. We talk about plant-based eating. Uh, we talk about social justice, the environment. So lots of different things. Some of the presentations are more focused. So for example, we've got presentations that are more focused on the environment as opposed to the treatment of animals. We have a presentation for grades 7 through 12 that's called Factory Farming Through a Social Justice Lens. So that presentation is talks a little bit about our history, uh, like the history of the food system here in the United States, how colonizers actually 
came and brought over a lot of these farmed animals. And that's how, that's the history of factory farming. It started to push native communities from their land. So from there, we kind of talk about impacts on humans. So the workers in the industry, both in animal agriculture and plant-based agriculture, we're talking about the impacts on the environment, the impacts on the animals, the impacts on communities. We're talking about how the government you know, fits into all of this. So there's, there's a lot being covered with all of these presentations. But I think, you know, one of the things that a lot of people ask is, how are you talking to students about these issues? You know, this can be seen as quite controversial. And we are very careful to, you know, be introducing all of this information in an age appropriate way. So for example, with our kindergarten through fourth grade presentations, when we're talking about the farm animals, most of the presentation is talking about what a sanctuary is, what the importance of sanctuary, what animals need to be happy and healthy. And then they get a little comparison as to this is the reality for animals in a farm. They see like a graphic where there's, it's like a graphic of a factory farm. You see animals kind of in a small space inside without the sun, without grass to run around in. And then asking them to think about how do you think that animal feels? What do animals need? And they do a draw along activity, brainstorm what animals need, and they come away brainstorming at the end why sanctuaries are important. And that's when these kids say, well, they give animals what they need. And they're, they're right away kind of seeing that difference, making that sort of connection that animals are, are not getting what they need in our food system because their needs are never going to be first, be put first if they're being raised for food, because obviously that's not in their best interests. So I'll, I'll pause there and <laughs> there's much more I could say, but I want to, I want to pause and let you jump in. <laughs> no, that's awesome. I think like I'm a naturalist, so an environmental educator for people who do not know. And it's so important because I guess some conversations I'll have with like adults coming in, like I'll do a coyote coexistence program and I'll talk about like, oh, this is what coyotes can do, blah, 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 blah. But then for kids, you don't want to talk about, you know, all sure. the things that, you know, it's not relevant to them. So I think that's important. What you mentioned is mm -hmm. making it so it's digestible for different age groups and creating that so kids actually can learn compassion and learn, mm -hmm. like you said, what's happening in ways that is age appropriate. Yeah, absolutely. And we're, you know, one of the things with the older grade presentations, you know, they do get to see some of the imagery of what a factory farm looks like, but we're never showing them something that's like overly graphic. So they're getting, they're seeing an image of the inside of a factory farm and they see what it looks like for chickens in battery cages versus cage free. And it, you know, it, of course it's, it's upsetting because you're seeing all these animals squished into this dark warehouse, but it's not an overly graphic image. So we're, you know, we're careful in that way to be honest with them, but also the goal is not at all to traumatize them. It's to empower them, as you said, to know what's going on and to take action. However, however they might be able to take action. Yeah, that's super important because when I did that presentation in, in <laughs> my freshman year of college, I was like, very much like, oh, look at this picture. And it was a picture of like, I have a chicken and I used to have a chicken. And it was a picture of my chicken. And then I showed a picture of a factory farm chicken at that age. And it was like really graphic. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone was like, and I was like, but 
I know, but they're, these are college students, so it's different. But I'm sure, like, sure, yeah. Probably <laughs> not the best way to go about it, but yeah. you know, people need to see what's actually happening sometimes, like especially adults. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's completely age of the audience is one thing, and there's other things to consider. And that's, that is one thing that we are, we try to do our best with is when it comes to these other considerations, for example, our message that we, we don't send people away with a message of go vegan and the world is fixed because first of all, the world is not fixed. If everyone just goes vegan, you know, like it's, that's, that's not going to end all exploitation. We know that if we take a look at how workers in our plant-based agriculture are treated, many of them are paid very little, taken advantage of. We know that that industry is often hiring undocumented workers and that makes it hard for them to advocate for themselves or achieve better treatment. So, you know, veganism is not the solution and it's also not accessible to everyone. You know, we know that there are issues when it comes to nutritious plant-based foods, especially like fruits and veggies being, being accessible to everyone. And so when it comes to our food system, it's just not as simple as picking something over something else. For some people, it can be, but we want to make sure that no one feels bad about not being able to make a, a choice if, if that choice is really not accessible to them. And that's why at Farm Sanctuary, we want to help change our food system. And that's kind of why we, why we specify just and compassionate vegan living, because the just part is important. I mean, if you, I don't know, if you think if you've talked much in other episodes or anything about this term cruelty free yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yep. so you know it cruelty free a lot of times is referred to as something not you know including animal cruelty and of course it's it's great to eat plant-based eat vegan eat free of animal cruelty but we also need to pay attention to the cruelty that takes place workers in our food system so it's just it's bigger than that that message and we are you know we we want students to feel empowered to take action and those actions that they might take there's a variety of things that they can do even if making different food choices at that point in time isn't possible yeah that's super important because I know like now as somebody who's more educated on how to talk to people about that stuff, I wouldn't do what I did my freshman year. And that's super mm -hmm. important to know how to present these ideas so people listen. Because if I sat here and said like, oh, you have to go vegan, otherwise mm -hmm. you're on the planet. It's like, that's not fair. And it's like you said, not true. Like it's not all yeah. true. So there's other things that are killing the planet as well. And it's, mm -hmm. you have to learn how to have these conversations. And I think that's super important that you guys do that there. Yeah, there's a lot of pressing issues and and there's a lot of like misunderstanding too when it comes to the vegan move. I mean, there's 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 a lot happening in the vegan movement. There's a lot of different views and and strategies and all of that, but I think a lot of people who don't identify with kind of animal rights or the vegan movement they view vegans or animal rights activists as only caring about animals. And of course, that can be true for some, for some in the movement, but it's not true for all. Um, there are a lot of us who identify very strongly as human rights, social justice activists, and 
you know, and making, making that clear, I think is important. And also not just talking the talk, but walking the walk, you know, we want to advocate for workers in our food system, both in animal agriculture and plant-based agriculture, because our food system is not just exploiting non-human animals. It is, it is exploiting humans too, in a myriad of ways. And I think a lot of people don't realize that. And then when they do realize that, they start to see just how kind of complicated the system is, but how interconnected all of these issues are and why, why, why our food system really does need to change. Yeah, it's definitely like, I think the thing to drive home is it's a system issue. Mm -hmm. And it's not just like, you can't just fix one little part. It's, we have to fix the whole thing. <laughs> we have to fix yeah. How we do it. Yeah. It's not, we're, you know, it's not just removing animals from the system. The system itself doesn't become fixed that way by just taking animals out because there's still workers and communities unfairly, un unfair, un <laughs> having trouble with words, unfairly being impacted by by how they're, you know, whether it's how they're being treated in the industry themselves or by like pollution from, from this industry. Yeah. That's, that is also another huge thing is people living by them and the yes. pollution in the water. And I've read disgusting things about that. And Oh yeah. Yeah. I remember when I first learned about, started kind of discovering the impacts on communities that, and just, just learning that you know, learning about manure lagoons. I mean, I, I'm curious how much of the general public has even heard of that term and knows that these things are real, you know, and for those listening, manure lagoons are about the size of several football fields. They contain all of the waste, all of the feces and urine from these animals. And that's literally where it sits. And in many cases, these lagoons, they'll actually like using like a sprinkler like system spray the manure onto neighboring crop fields or just neighboring fields because it's meant you know we all know that manure is often used as fertilizer but when you're creating this much waste when you're raising billions and billions of land animals every year there is way too much manure to be used in any useful way and so it ends up polluting neighboring food supply, neighboring water. And meanwhile, all it takes is some wind to come in, pick up that manure and put it on someone's house. So the people living around this, it's like, this is what they are exposed to. And there's major health issues that are being reported as a result of, of that for these communities. So it's just like the, the human rights issues that are entrenched in this industry are quite staggering. Yeah. And people don't, people don't think about that. It's, and no. I don't think about that five years ago and I was just like animals, animals, animals. And now I'm like, right. Wow. Yeah. So many marginalized communities that are impacted by this system. Yes. Yeah. It's deeply unjust to say the very least. And I know like in classrooms, when we talk about the manure lagoons, a lot of the kids ask, well, why why don't they move away and a lot of these 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 farms are actually oftentimes purp purposefully placed in low-income communities so these communities don't typically have much of an ability to fight these larger corporations or the resources to move away and so they're just kind of stuck there dealing with this and that's a point that that upsets a lot of students and kind of again i think makes them realize 
that our food system is deeply in need of reform. Yeah. And kind of going off that, the next question is talking about like how do students react to these presentations? Like all yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so that's that's an awesome thing to talk about because I know a lot of this information, some of this information can be really upsetting. A lot of it can be brand new for these kids or, you know, young adults. And so there's there's obviously uh, a lot of different emotions taking place. But that being said, we we do something where we collect student feedback specifically from our like grades five and up presentations for the younger presentations the teachers will sometimes send us the artwork that the teach that the students create but we're not getting kind of written feedback unless a teacher has them write letters which they sometimes do and it's very sweet yeah. um but for the older students they they get a link to an uh, uh, anonymous like google survey google form and they can fill out like what they learned or what surprised them their takeaway from the presentation i can share a couple of kind of some of our more recent takeaways from from these presentations and you can see that the impact immediately that these students are feeling from what they've learned so one of them this is a student 10th grade student from new york said after seeing this presentation i'm going to start signing more petitions about these social justice issues in factory farming. I'm also going to work to become more aware about my consumption and use of animal products. A seventh grade student wrote, the most important thing that I learned from this presentation was that doing little things such as trying to eat less meat can make a big change. And that by hurting these animals, we are hurting our planet and ourselves as well. Try not to cry from that. Yeah, and again, you know, this is a seventh grade student, so they might not have a lot of agency when it comes to choosing what they eat. But the fact that they walk away saying, I'm going to do what I can, and this is what I learned, not, you know, I feel helpless, there's nothing I can do. Like, this is what we want. We want them to, to have this information. Everyone deserves to have this information, deserves to not be learning it for the first time in college. Some people still are that's when i did <laughs> but um you know that's that's why we're we're trying to as you said start young one of the takeaways from the college the university presentation is and this presentation i didn't actually mention too much about but we are in collaboration with the coalition of Immokalee workers and the alliance for fair food which are these two organizations that are working for specifically to help farm workers and to help farm workers have basic rights, uh, just treatment. Those are organizations I highly recommend people look into and support because they are doing such excellent work. And this is where the movement to help animals in our food system very much needs to also align with helping workers in our food system and specifically workers in plant-based agriculture because again as we know or as we have learned <laughs> cruelty free for animals does not mean it's free of all forms of cruelty and so that's a nice segue into this takeaway from a university student who saw that presentation where they actually hear from a farm worker themselves 
uh, they had written, my biggest takeaway from this presentation is that we cannot consider companies that claim to be cruelty-free to be completely cruelty-free if they are consumers of companies where their employees are treated unfairly. Cruelty-free is not only a term applied for non-human animals, but can and should also be applied to humans, in this case to farm workers and agricultural workers. This is a concept that must be shared in order to spread awareness of the unjust treatment that continues to affect many individuals and families. Wow, that's <laughs> so that's such an amazing response that they had to this because it's that's in so many environmental issues as well, and so many of the mm-hmm. issues like fast fashion, you know, representing yep. stuff. People are yep. making that in overseas, and they're not being paid well. Right, so all of that, and they're not being treated well, and all this mm-hmm. other stuff. So. It's funny how that same concept fits into a lot of different environmental justice issues and environmental issues in general. Of course, yeah. I mean, it it all comes down to profit, right? That's what these big big systems are focused on. And you're gonna get more profit if you're not putting, or at least the way it works currently, um, I would like to think you'd get more profit if you're also investing in in the humans that are that are doing whatever work it is. But not just non-human animals as as kind of a means to an end or as commodities, but it's treating humans as commodities too. That they're replaceable with the next you know the next person who isn't injured and can do the job faster. Yeah. Oh, so true. But I love those different reactions from students and the different grade levels. You see how people are like starting yeah. to put together at different levels. And, you know, I like the one, this, I think it was the seventh grade one where they yeah. said about doing what you can. Cause it's so important yes. to say, like, if we sit here and say like my, one of my roommates is not vegetarian or vegan. And if I say to her and she's making me, Oh, like that's disgusting. Like, blah, blah, yeah. you know, she's maybe that's what, what she's, mm-hmm. what could she can afford and all this stuff. And I can't judge her for these decisions. I can just, you know, say, Hey, this is what happens in the food systems and educate her on what does happen in a way that is not saying I'm better than you because I'm this and I'm, yeah. you know, I'm vegetarian, I'm this or whatever. It's not, I'm better. It's here's the things to make a decision that are good for you and just for you. Yeah, absolutely. And one, I mean, one thing I've kind of thought about from when I became vegan is, well, I mean, I, I had gone vegetarian in college when I had been exposed to a video. It was not a graphic video, but it was a cow with the bolt gun to their head. So showing them being stunned for slaughter. And it was like really quick clip, barely anything there. And I was just instantly like, uh, that, that is the cheeseburger that I'm eating all of the time. I can't do this anymore. But what I didn't make a connection about (laughs) was dairy and eggs. I did not understand how connected those industries are and how all of these animals are ending up dying. It's, it's not just the animals that, that die for meat. But the point is, is that it took me two years to kind of make that connection, be open to that connection, however you want to say it. But what influenced me the most was being, I was doing an internship and I was in shared housing with another vegetarian and a vegan. And it wasn't even so much the conversation. Um, At one point she did bring up, you know, she asked like, do you know what's going on in these industries? And I was like, I don't know. And then when she told me, I was like, oh, but she didn't just like, it wasn't, you know, like, hey, nice to meet you. By the way, talk about this. We lived together for weeks at least. And I just saw what she ate. And I just saw how she kind of existed and developed, you know, a friendship with her. And that has kind of shown me 
how important it is to not take on every sort of conversation or relationship in your life with these issues. Let it come naturally. Let, let them ask you questions. Let it sort of, you know, be the model, the, the vegan or the social justice activist, however you want to describe yourself, model the person that you would want to be kind of looking to. And I think that's really helpful because ultimately there's a lot of strong emotions affiliated with a lot of different issues, but especially when it comes to the treatment of animals in our food system, when you sort of quote unquote, wake up, it can be really upsetting to sort of be surrounded by people who you feel like, like, how do you not know this? Or how are you not like, if I tell you this, why are you not suddenly changing? And that, that anger, I think it can make it, it can make it really hard to, to not just kind of like find some joy in life, but also to, to invite others to consider things differently. Because the reality is, is that the current norms in our society are, are to use animals in, in this way, are to exploit bodies, human and non-human bodies in certain ways. And so when that's the norm, you know, it's hard to go against that. And I think trying to, trying to just be as inviting as possible to get people to sort of think a little differently is important. Yeah, definitely make it a conversation that people want to have and not feel like they're Mm -hmm. yelled at or lectured at when they're like, okay, I'm like 22 years old. I don't want someone sitting here (laughs) at me for drinking milk. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And I've honestly, I think one of the most interesting things for me, I'm like, social media is one of those places where you can sort of put a lot of education out there, which is great. Um, And I know you mentioned you love following Farm Sanctuary on social media. It's been a great like kind of outlet to sort of educate about different issues. And the, the coolest part for me is like over the years, I've had people like close friends of mine who I haven't even like discussed issues of our food system with, as well as like, you know, those distant people from high school who like you kind of know, but haven't talked to in years be like, by the way, like I've gone vegetarian or I'm vegan now. And you're just like, what? And they say it's because of, you know, what I've put out there without even having these conversations. So I think it's like finding ways to sort of have that outlet. But again, in a way where it's just no one wants to, you know, no one wants to feel attacked or judged. And we just we live in an imperfect world. So having compassion and empathy when we talk to to others is so important when it comes to societal change. Yeah. Very true. Very awesome that you created that change within your own like social media. I love doing that. (laughs) Super important. So now the next question is more in regards to the environment. So in regards to the greenhouse gas effect, can you please discuss with us the correlation between our current agricultural practices and climate change? Yes, I am happy to. So yeah, I think at this at this time in history, there's there's a lot there's a lot of people who are concerned about what's going on with our planet. And we are seeing the impacts of climate change, of the climate crisis right before our eyes. I live in Oakland, California. Um, And I have been here during fire season now for a few years. And it is terrifying. It's I'm not sure I have like proper words to to describe what that looks like and knowing what it's doing to fortunately I haven't found myself like caught between fires but 
there's so many people here who have. Um, and I think another thing that I just want to say is when these impacts are happening in certain places, if it's not happening to you, it's really easy to not realize it's going on. Before I had moved to California, I had no idea that like there was a fire season. And granted, in the, you know, prior years, it has not, it, you know, it wasn't as bad, but it's continuing to get worse and worse. So I think it's, that's, you know, that's one of those things too, where when we think about how the impacts of the climate crisis are affecting like communities all over the world and different, different parts of the world, it's, it's unfortunately easy to just sort of ignore it if it's not happening right, right there before your eyes. And that needs to change um, because it is ultimately going to impact us all, but it's also unfairly impacting people who are and communities who are contributing the least to global warming. So that's my little spiel there. But um, what I will say in connection to animal agriculture specifically and its contributions to global warming, we know that there's an estimated 14.5% of greenhouse gas emissions coming worldwide that are coming from animal agriculture alone. And that estimate is a low end estimate, which means that it is likely much higher, but that's the current lowest end estimate, which alone is still high. In terms of where that's coming from with animal agriculture, some people are like, well, how, how are, you know, how's carbon dioxide or methane being created in animal farming? So we talked about deforestation a little while ago. Deforestation is releasing carbon dioxide into the air, right? So that's, a, that's contributing to it. All of the transportation, they're literally being sent sometimes like across the country because farms are in one place and slaughterhouses are in another. So there's transporting of all of these animals. There's all of the animal waste. So that's creating methane. Methane is way more powerful than carbon dioxide. So we've got these giant manure lagoons. You could also call them methane lagoons. But all of the animal's waste is creating methane. And then there are um, our ruminant animals. So these are cows, sheep, goats, animals that are basically creating methane during their digestive process. So they're burping methane. So all in all, these are just some of the examples of where greenhouse gases are coming from in this industry. Wow, yeah, there's just so many ways that agriculture, like we said before, there's so many ways that our current agricultural systems are impacting the climate and not just, oh, because I always hear, I always remember hearing, <laughs> oh, cow farts. Yeah. That's what's mm -hmm. killing us. And it's like, okay, but there's so many other things right. with the system. Right. And it's actually, yeah, it's, it's really, it's cow burps. Um, it's them burping the methane. Um, I think the, the cow farts thing is sort of one of those like media, yeah. it, it's at, like, it, it grabs attention type thing. But I think something else that's important to think about with all of this, and we didn't, you know, I, I know I mentioned factory farms and, but it is important to keep in mind that, you know, factory farms, these large industrialized farms contribute to a lot of issues. But when it comes to greenhouse gas emissions, it doesn't matter where these animals are being raised. They can be raised in, in your backyard. They can be raised in a giant farm. But either way, they are contributing to, this is contributing to greenhouse gas emissions. There's a lot of, you know, there's some discussion about 
like, oh, well, we'll end factory farming, but let's just change to all of these, you know, smaller farms, which wouldn't, wouldn't change the problem, but it also, uh, or would solve the problem, but it also isn't feasible because we are consuming animals at a rate where they just, we simply couldn't keep this up if we weren't farming the way we currently are. Yeah, that's a very good point. That's a very amazing point. Yeah, it's, oh, we can just move the small ones. Right. <laughs> Moving the problem. <laughs> so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So one of our last few questions is, can you please discuss how the youth can get involved in advocacy regarding farm animals in our food systems? Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, I mean, there's a variety of ways that um, youth, young people can get active and kind of engage in these issues. Farm Sanctuary has a youth leadership program. Um, So this is for students who are 13 to 18, so kind of middle and high school. It's a national network. We have currently, I think, around 60 middle and high school students who participate in this kind of virtual group. And what they're doing is over the course of the year, we have meetings that are centered on different issues of oppression. And so students are ultimately, they get to kind of do this deep dive into a lot of these issues we've talked about today. You know, they'll have a meeting totally on the environment. They'll have a meeting totally on the treatment of workers in plant-based agriculture or animal agriculture. And along with like this, or in addition to all of this learning and kind of community that they get from being able to sort of connect with other students who are interested in in these things, they also work on their own advocacy projects and we kind of help mentor them through those. So they'll come up with something they're interested in doing, whether it's bringing Farm Sanctuary presentations to their school or you know, writing op-eds for newspapers or magazines. And we help kind of mentor them through that and, and give them feedback. And that's been really fun, really rewarding. Youth can join that in the middle of the year, though we do recommend, you know, it's kind of best to join at the beginning of the year, so in the fall. But um, something to keep in mind, if anyone who's 13 to 18 are listening, or if you know someone who's 13 to 18 and would be interested. And then there's some other cool groups too that are doing various forms of advocacy for issues related to our food system and beyond. So the Raven Corps, awesome group, and they're more like, high school into college age. And then there's the youth climate save movement, which is for, I mean, I think they even have students as young as third grade in there. And that's specifically focused on the environmental impacts of animal agriculture on our food system. So doing activism related to that. And then the other group I just want to mention is the Student Farm Worker Alliance, which is more for college age students who want to help our kind of get involved supporting the Coalition of Immokalee Workers and Alliance for Fair Food. So that's kind of doing advocacy in alignment for advocating for farm worker rights. And it's so important that you guys are doing that, having a place where you then feel like they're doing something. Because I know, even when yeah. I was there, I was like, well, what can I do? I'm frustrated. And I'm like, Mm-hmm. 14 years old and I want to go do something what do I do right and I, I think a lot of what does exist especially for like youth who are interested in animals is it's not really like food system related or having to do with like farm animals so it's either like focused on sort of wild animals conservation or the animals we typically call pets so dogs and cats and so this is 
this kind of group has been really, really awesome. All of like all of the students who participate talk about how much the community and discussion means to them to be able to really talk about these issues with other students who care. Because as I said, there's this growing interest in a lot of these issues, but there's still a lot of students and just like young people who don't necessarily know a lot of people who are concerned about these issues yet. And so having that community, even though somebody's in DC and the other ones in California, it's still, there's still, you know, these relationships being, being created and fostered. That's so important. And that's so awesome that you guys are getting to do that and doing that. Yeah. So our last question is now, how can we all support Farm Sanctuary and its missions? Yes, excellent, excellent question. I mean, of course, when it comes to our mission of a more just and compassionate food system, if people, if listeners, if whoever is able to, reducing or eliminating your consumption of animal products when possible is always an excellent way to take action um, and support Farm Sanctuary in our mission. You know, it impacts people around you too. The if you if you go out to eat and you choose the veggie burger over the burger that's made from from a cow, people around you start to, you know, the next time they might want to try it, especially if you're like, this is really good. So making those choices when possible, if they are accessible, is a great thing to do. And I think continuing to educate ourselves about these issues is hugely important as well. There's obviously a lot we could talk about. I'm kind of thinking this could have been like a two hour podcast or something <laughs> absurd like that. But so keeping, keeping that in mind uh, in terms of just always learning, because the more you know, the more we can kind of get closer to some of this change. We have petitions on our website there's this thing it's an advocacy center is what we call it and you can sign petitions on our current advocacy campaigns so for example right now there's one um that has to do with the farm system reform act which is proposed legislation to try to stop creating more of these large factory farms and actually hold them accountable for the environmental harm that they're causing so that's a great kind of way to uh show your support Donating, of course, you can sponsor an animal at Farm Sanctuary or adopt an animal. We always have adopt a turkey campaign around November. Visiting the sanctuary is a great way. Checking us out on social media, sharing um, what we're putting out on social media so more people are exposed to the stories of our animal residents and just kind of learning more about who farm animals are bringing education, bringing our educational programming to, to schools when possible, or, you know, if you're a college student and you heard about the essential farm workers presentation today and want to bring that to your school, you know, you can reach out to me, talk to your professors, see if there's anyone who wants to host it. So lots of different things you can do, of course, getting involved in advocacy groups, but ultimately just, you know, I think the most important thing is knowing that there's a lot of different things, a lot of different actions that people can take. And, you know, no, no action is too small. That's so important. And thank you for leaving us with that message. I think it's everyone can do everything. Everyone can do anything. <laughs> not everything. Not everything. <laughs> everyone can do everything. <laughs> <laughs> like everyone can do a little piece of something and it will make a big impact if we get a bunch of people to do that small thing. For sure. Yeah. 
Thank you. So is there anything else you want to add before we wrap it up? I don't know. I think, I think that's probably it. <laughs> I mean, we can go so on like forever. <laughs> yeah. It, there's just, there's so much we could, we could go on and talk about, but we'll leave you with that. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us and for educating us and myself as well. Thank you so much for having me. And that wraps up this episode of the Angry Environmentals. Remember to stay angry and create positive change.